Let's pray. Our Father, I ask that you would bless not only the reading, but also the proclamation of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I have a question for you this morning. What is the primary thing that God wants from you more than anything else in the world? Now, the charlatans on TV who want to get rich off the backs of gullible Christians will tell you that God wants your money. The Pharisees who followed the the strict observance of the law would tell you that God wants your commitment and your faithful obedience. Um, the hermits who would who have run away from the world to live in a monastery would tell you that God wants your separation from the world. The social justice um, people would tell you that God wants your service. Someone a bit more theologically astute uh, than those above examples might say that the primary thing that God wants from us more than anything else is our love and our mercy. By all means, God wants our love and our mercy. But I believe that there is something even more primary that God desires from you. The primary thing that God wants from you is your faith. He wants you to place your faith firmly in Him. Hebrews 11 verse 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him. Galatians 2.16 says, We know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, but because by works of the law, no one will be justified. John 6 verse 29, Jesus said, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He has sent. So, faith is the first and chief thing that God wants from us. While affirming this truth, I am not denying that faith itself is the gift of God. God is the one who opens spiritually blind eyes. God is the one who raises us from spiritual death. God is the one who draws us to Jesus Christ. God therefore gets all the glory when we place our faith in Him because it is faith that He has given to us by His grace. But this does not change for a moment the complementary truth that faith must be exercised by us. You personally must place your faith in Jesus Christ, otherwise you will perish. I've quoted several Scripture passages to to support my contention that faith is the primary thing that God wants from us. But I've not answered the question, why faith is the primary work? Charles Spurgeon, in one of his sermons, he said, As a forest may lie asleep within an acorn, so within the bounds of faith, little though it is, every virtue lies hidden. And what he means is that every grace we need for living the Christian life 
lies within the gift of faith. Our forgiveness of sins, our ability to stand before God, is all from the gift of faith. The gift of faith alone. Our our repentance springs forth from our trust in Christ. Our spiritual fruitfulness grows as we stay connected by faith to the Lord Jesus Christ. We overcome temptation by faith. 1 John chapter 5 verse 4 says, For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. We grasp hold of God's wisdom by faith. James chapter 1 verses 5 through 8 says that God gives us generously all the wisdom that we need. But we must place our unwavering faith in Him. Listen to James 1, 5 through 8. Listen to the importance that He attaches to the exercise of our faith. He says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, For the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So I've given us an an extended instruction in the importance of faith because we're going to see in our passage how displeasing it was for Zechariah to waver in his faith. Zechariah's faith floundered exactly at the the moment when it should have been its strongest. Zechariah, he was an ordinary country priest. Lived out in the country outside Jerusalem. He was one of, as they have estimated, one of 8,000 priests that were serving in Judah at the time. And these 8,000 priests were organized according to divisions. And throughout the year, different divisions would be called in uh, to Jerusalem to serve in the temple. And so they would remain there for a period of time. And each day, two different priests were chosen to uh, enter into the holy place within the temple and offer incense. There would be the morning Uh, offering of incense, and then the evening offering of incense. We believe that Zechariah was offering the evening uh, incense. But uh, he was chosen by lot to enter into the most holy place. And the holy place is not to be confused with the most holy place. The most holy place, only the high priest could go in there once a year. It was behind the curtain. Um where the Ark of the Covenant was, was located. And, and um, most of the 8,000 priests were never chosen to offer incense in the holy place. So it was a great honor for Zechariah to be able to offer this incense. And it was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Uh, once you offered incense in the most holy place, or rather in the holy place, you are not allowed to do it again. 
And so when Zechariah was chosen to offer the incense, it was the apex not only of his career as a priest, but it was the highest honor that he could ever expect to receive during his lifetime. Verse 6 tells us that both Zechariah and his wife were righteous before God and that they walked according to God's Word. I can imagine the awe that Zechariah had uh, as he walked into the holy place for the first and only time in his life. I remember very distinctly the thoughts and emotions that were rushing through my soul as I uh, presided over um, the communion table for the first time after being ordained. And as Zechariah entered the holy place, surely the richly embroidered 30-foot high curtain would have caught his attention, first of all. Uh, The curtain hung from the ceiling all the way down to the floor. It separated the, the holy place from the most holy place. He would have marveled, I'm sure, at the cherubim that were woven into the carpet or into the the curtain. Uh, The colors in the curtain were scarlet and purple and blue and gold. Truly an amazing uh, piece of work. He would have passed by the table of showbread on his left as he walked uh, to the horned golden altar of incense. And on his right, he would have passed by the golden candlestick. But suddenly, and quite unexpectedly, an angel appeared in the holy place with Zechariah. And it wasn't just any angel. This was Gabriel. The same Gabriel that appeared to Daniel over 500 years ago. How many times uh, have you, when you are struggling in your faith, thought it would be absolutely wonderful for God to send an angel to encourage you? You know, an angel comes and says, that thing that you were just praying for, God has answered it, and it is about to happen. God's about to bring it to pass in your life. Have you ever had thoughts like that? Boy, if I saw an angel, my faith would be so much stronger. Well, this is exactly what's happening to Zechariah. So look at verses 11 through 13. And there appeared to him, there appeared to Zechariah, an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. Zechariah and Elizabeth were barren. Throughout their married life, they had prayed that God would give them a child. But poor Zechariah... As the angel appeared and gave him this promise, told him that his prayer had been answered, Zechariah began to think of his gray hair. He began to think of how his body was old and frail. He pondered his wife's age and her barren womb. And he refused to believe what Gabriel was telling him. It's amazing. The very thing that he and his wife had been praying for 
at the most religiously holy moment in his life as he is in the the holy place talking to an angel of the Lord who must have been resplendent in glory as he appeared to Zechariah. And the thing that he and his wife had prayed so fervently for, he ended up doubting that God would do it. When it came time to test Zechariah's faith, he really did not expect that God was going to answer his prayers. We might be tempted to smirk at Zechariah's lack of faith, but how many of us really believe that God is able or is willing to answer our prayers? How many of us have grown discouraged in praying for the salvation of our unsaved parents or our unsaved children or our unsaved friends or co-workers? We pray for them day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, in some cases decade after decade, and their heart remains hardened to the Lord. Well, God's not hearing my prayers. God's not answering my prayers. How many of us secretly wonder if God really listens? Well, Gabriel, Gabriel's response lets us know how God felt about um, Zechariah's lapse in faith. Look at verses 19 and 20. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. Zechariah was a Christian. His faith was genuine. But at the moment when God was testing his faith, Zechariah wavered. Poor Zechariah. Prophecy had ceased 400 years earlier when Malachi finished his prophecy. Angels had not appeared to any human being as far as we know during that long four-century period. The angel suddenly appearing in awesome splendor must have thrown elderly Zechariah into some confusion. But God expected Zechariah to trust that God is a prayer-hearing and a prayer-answering God. And because of Zechariah's unwillingness to trust Gabriel's announcement, Zechariah would not be able to tell anybody what he had just heard. He took a little longer in the the holy place, uh, burning the incense because he's having this discussion with Gabriel. And people outside began to wonder. In fact, it's it's a bit comical as you think about it, as you picture it in your mind's eye. As he takes a little longer, people are worried. What's happening in there? Is he going to come out? Has he fallen ill? Should we send someone after him? And um, he finally comes out and he's not able to speak. The, the thing that he wants to announce more than anything, I'm going to be a dad. And my son is going to prepare the way for the Lord, the Messiah whom we've been waiting on. And he can't utter a word. 
Look at verses 21 and 22. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak a word to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs and, uh, to them and remained mute. He wasn't even able to announce the priestly benediction from Numbers chapter 6. You know, the priest was supposed to come out. The priest was to say, lift up his hands. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace. Zechariah wasn't even able to do that. He could not speak until after... Elizabeth had conceived and given birth to their son nine months later. Luke could have left this entire story uh, out of his gospel, the story of Zechariah and Gabriel. It wouldn't have affected uh, the gospel uh, at all in any respect. So why did did Luke include this story of uh, Zechariah and Gabriel here in his Gospel? I think Luke, as I was mentioning last week, as we saw, as we looked at the introduction to Luke, I believe Luke included this story to teach us the same lesson that God was teaching to Zechariah, to place our unwavering trust in our Almighty God who loves us so much that He sent the Lord Jesus Christ into the world to be our Savior. Are you learning the lesson this morning? Are you in your heart pleading with God for, for more faith to trust Him, not only for your salvation, but also for the practical matters in your life? God wants you to trust Him. That's why this account of Zechariah's lapse of faith is included in the Bible. Not to bring shame upon, Gabriel, uh, upon Zechariah, but rather for us to learn. For us to grow in our faith and trust in God. The promises made by Gabriel to Zechariah went well beyond the simple fact that Zechariah was going to become a dad in his old age. Uh, their son, Gabriel told him, their son would be great before the Lord. He said that their son would be filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. Probably uh, words should be mentioned about the New York State Assembly and the law that they have passed um, in late-term abortion or the the law that uh, is still in effect, that has been in effect since uh, 72, Roe versus Wade. It is legal in our nation to kill a baby in the mother's womb. Here we have an affirmation of faith, or, or rather of, um, of the life of, um, of every child in the mother's womb. John was filled with the Holy Spirit from his mother's womb. John was also going to have the great privilege of preparing the people for the coming 
of the long-awaited Messiah. Look at verses 12 through 17, and we're almost finished here. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared within these promises you may have noticed several non-negotiable obligations that were laid upon Zechariah and Elizabeth and how their son was to be raised. They were to raise him to take a vow of being a Nazarite. You can read about that in the book of Numbers. Among other things, he, w- he must not ever drink any wine or strong drink, nor could his hair be cut being a Nazarite. God did not ask Zechariah or Elizabeth for their permission. He simply said, This is how you are to raise your child. God didn't ask John if he was willing to be the forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ. God did not ask John if he was willing to be a Nazarite his entire life. God simply made the decision. God is the Lord over our lives. He does not have to ask our permission for the way He rules over or guides our life. For instance, it was not my plan to grow up and be a minister of the gospel. God called me. Here I am. Likewise, God is ruling your life. A very important way that you put your faith and trust in God is to submit to His providence. Or again, are you making faith-centered decisions in your life? Because your life, as I was teaching the children, is under the authority of God. Are you seeking to make decisions that honor Him in your daily life? How do you spend your money? Do you consider God in regard to the priorities that you have for how you use your money? What goals are you working toward in your life? Is God come to play? Does He come to play in your priorities? Is God at the center of how you order and arrange your life? That's part of what it means to trust God, to put our faith in Him. Or as Romans chapter 1 says, the just shall live by faith. Are you living by faith? Are you trusting in God? Are you entrusting all of your life, all of your priorities to Him? The most important reason God wants your faith is that your faith connects you to the Lord Jesus Christ. When you place your trust in Christ, you receive every grace that God has to give you. 
When you place your trust in Christ, every spiritual blessing is your possession. When you place your trust in Jesus Christ, every promise that God has ever made to His peoples, to, to His people, is yours in Jesus Christ. If you've never trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, why would you resist Him right now? And oh believer, for you who have long since trusted, entrusted your soul to Christ, I encourage you, I urge you, plead with God for Him to give you more faith to trust Him today and forevermore. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we believe. Help our unbelief. Cause our faith and trust in You to grow. As we look at Zechariah and how he stumbled, Lord, we recognize ourselves. We have stumbled in, in so many ways like him. Help us to trust in You. Even when we have stumbled knowing that You have forgiven us. Help us to trust in You that we might not stumble over the sin that so easily entangles. But keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. We ask in His name. Amen.